We're human too, you know. Eyes, teeth, hands, blood. Exactly like you. There really isn't any telling you apart, is there? Absolutely identical in every respect. I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every every mannerism, facial tick gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. There's always an alternate. Lily's the best choice. No, but she wants my role. Every dancer in the world wants your role. No, this is different. She's after me. She's trying to replace me. Nobody's after you. No, please believe me. Here at the Lucas Clinic, we strive to bring you closer to celebrity than ever before. With samples drawn directly from the source, you can be connected in ways you never imagined. Tell him you know me. You must know me. But this is Mr. Pellet. What do you want with him? I am Pellet. I am Pellet. This is uh, this is my friend Anna. She's she's also an actress. Have I seen you in anything? No, I would be surprised. Man is least himself when he talks in his own person. Give him a mask, and he'll tell you the truth. Welcome to Projections Podcast. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Mary. Welcome to season six or series six. What do we use? A series, I think. Series. Welcome to series six. So exciting. The double. I'm so excited for this one because it's going to be a very big learning experience because I actually know nothing about the psychoanalytic concept of the double. So you're going to be teaching me pretty much <laughs> all the way through this as if you're not usually. Well, no way. I mean, I think I get a lot of inspiration from you. You always have the best insights. So I always learn from you. I love that um, we've started this just by complimenting <laughs> each other as if no one's listening. Like, <laughs> <laughs> could you just excuse us? We're having a private conversation. <laughs> I know. I, I'm so excited that it is the double because when we ran the Twitter poll it was running against technology and film which I would have been equally happy with I know I would have been really happy with that too and I think I feel like it's possibly likely to win next time if yeah if we don't find another option that is equally popular I was sure it was going to be technology I was you know anyone that messaged on because people message on Instagram saying I'm not on Twitter but I vote so and so and I was like yeah it's, it's technology's a shoe in it's definitely going to be like don't worry it's definitely going to be it <laughs> and then anyone that wanted the double I was like listen if it doesn't win this time we'll definitely do it next time and then the double just drew ahead and won which is great because we've been wanting to do it for a long time we really have I mean this is a topic that I've uh, tackled a few times in my own like lecture series and it's 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 always like a a fan favorite I feel for people Mm -hmm. who love psychoanalysis but I guess what I wanted to start off with is like, why is it that we enjoy the double so much as a topic? Like, what's the attraction, you know? Um, because I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I loved, there was like two cartoons that I watched religiously that now looking back, I feel like they were both so centered on the idea of the double. It was she and Jen and the Holograms. 
I vaguely remember Shira from my very early childhood. I went as Shira to a nursery school party. Oh. My mum made me a costume and I had a sword from the corner shop. You know, you used to get those like plastic swords. So they were like blue and yeah, yeah. Maybe they might have actually been Shira swords. I can't remember. And I had like a little white tunic with car- gold cardboard armor. Um, it was amazing. I still that remember that. That is so cute, Sarah. I'm like picturing you as a little kid in that costume. That's adorable. I've, I will try and see if I can get one of my parents to find an image and post it on the Instagram because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've definitely, I can see pictures of myself in it. I know they were definitely ones taken, but I don't actually remember what Shira was about. I just, I obviously mm. it was a big thing to me at the time, but I have no memory of it. And Gemini holograms the same. I don't, they're not part of my childhood. They would have been before your time. Yeah. Like it, they, they were right when I was like a little kid, like around eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. And I, so like mid eighties kind of thing um, or late eighties. And I was obsessed. So Shira was about an, um, a princess called Adora who has an alter, like she's the alter ego of of Shira basically. Mm, and okay. so Adora is also the long lost twin sister of Prince Adam, who's the alter ego of He-Man. Oh, cool. So it's a whole universe. It's a whole universe. So like, it's just amazing. Like, the, And it shows her transforming from Adora to Shira. And that just fascinated me that she could be two people. Mm-hmm. But that's almost the same. It's almost literally the same like narrative structure as Jem because Jem also obviously being in the 80s and she's she has an alter ego, Jerrica, who transforms herself holographically into like the lead singer of an all-girl pop band. So she's uh, Hannah Montana. Yes. Uh, but cartoon 80s Hannah Montana. Yeah. Ex- okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So that's clearly just a popular thing. I also missed Hannah Montana. It was after my childhood. Mm. So I guess we just had the Olsen twins who were literally twins. <gasps> of course. Um, so you didn't need any alter ego TV shows because you had the like you had twins who were different in personality. Oh and that was God. the whole theme of all of their TV shows that one of them was like one of them was sort of really preppy and smart and one of them was really rebellious and outgoing. Wow, that's so interesting. So literally your representation in childhood of, of like the double was actual identical twins. Yeah. And then they obviously, you know, I grew up with them. So they remained iconic for various different reasons. So yeah. I think we've definitely talked about the Olsen twins. Yeah, before. definitely. But even even now, they're still fascinating. Like Mary-Kate Olsen's divorce, Zoom calls and all of that were just really interesting. Yes. That is interesting to think that like, the Olsen twins audience, which would have been you like around that age, mm-hmm. would have, you guys would have grown up together. And then you're going through different life stages almost together, like your young adults or you're like just coming into your twenties or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I would say they're, they're, they're moderately more successful than I am, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I can catch up. <laughs> Listen, okay. You are literal genius. I mean, I just want to take this moment to say that like, I'm just in love with the intro you wrote, like the edited. It's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's not me. It's just that Tchaikovsky is amazing. So it no. just makes any anything that goes on top of it, it just sounds good. <laughs> it is spellbinding, seriously. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it, it is true. I mean, I guess it also makes me think of like, what are our associations with twins then? Like, particularly identical identical twins, because 
obviously we're starting off our series with twins as a sub-theme. Today we're going to be talking about Dead Ringers and La Main Double, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, very similar movies. Very similar movies. Uh, very, like, um, yeah, a bit of an onslaught when you watch them one after the other. Uh, yeah. As a woman, quite yeah. quite tough, quite tough viewing. I would say I would I wouldn't say go so far as to give a trigger warning, but I would say if you get to halfway through La Mont Double and you're really offended, it's worth just getting through to the end because the end makes it better. <laughs> yeah, but the end definitely redeems it. You do have to sit through what I w- referred to yesterday as French nonsense, which. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Absolutely valid. But yeah, I guess the thing with twins, twins identical twins particularly are such a useful cinematic device to evoke the uncanny and feeling like really weird and creepy. I mean, I say that with all the love and affection for the like real twins out there. I have no, Mm -hmm. you know, I have no kind of bias against twins or anything. We think you're creepy. (laughs) We do a little bit, not going to lie. But it is quite fascinating. Like, does it kind of, what does it make you feel like thinking of people looking the same, being siblings, like the same age? It's just such a weird concept to me. You know, we had, now I'm thinking about it. There was a lot of twin media in the 90s. Um, so there was a twin thing, I, mm. I really think. And one of the things that was a big, a big uh, influence in a lot of people of my generation's childhood was, I actually can't remember what the name of the book was, but it was about, it was a Jacqueline Wilson book about twins called Ruby and Garnet. Ooh, okay. um, and Jacqueline Wilson is sort of a children's writer of my generation who wrote these like quite hard-hitting quite upsetting children's books Mm. and maybe it was called double act or double I actually cannot remember what it was called I'll have to look it up but um it was about these twins who they move their family moves house and they go to a new school and one of them's really dominant like dominating and the other one is you know is is really shy and it's Mm. kind of about them it's kind of about the shy one trying to sort of like trying to kind of fend off this almost bullying from the from the dominating one yeah and try and kind of establish her own identity without being bossed around all the time and I remember finding it quite upsetting that's something that maybe is is my association with twins is Uh is that as a power struggle yes um and maybe it's kind of I, maybe I kind of relate to it a little bit because I think it sort of symbolizes the power struggle that introverts have with extroverts oh, wow. and the kind of the way that the world um, the world kind of views extroverts as being stronger and more powerful when in fact I would say they're le- they're less uh, self-reliant because mm. the very definition is that you you know you draw your energy from being around other people. So yeah. you're kind of you're you're you sort of fade when you're alone. Um, so yeah, I think as I think I probably the thing I think about twins is that it's the sort of dual thing of introversion and extroversion and the struggle there. Oh my god, I love that. Mm. I, it's such a. I feel like that's a very Jungian analysis of like, yeah. you know, like the kind of the the, the duality that exists. Um, at the individual level, but also at the societal level, mm-hmm. captured in this kind of tension and conflict between people who look exactly the same. Yeah, I think if you are if you're in, if you're 
we're looking at twin media there'll be one twin that you relate to more <laughs> and that because of that trope of the twin that's shyer and yeah. the twin that is more powerful or the dominant twin I think or the evil twin or the evil twin yeah and mm. definitely some people relate to the evil twin <laughs> yeah yeah, that's so true. I suppose it's kind of like a, a a convenient way to to reconcile and negotiate our own like conflicting impulses of feeling good, like you know, an, an angel and a devil on your shoulder kind of thing, being tempted by good things, mm-hmm. but also being drawn and like sort of mysteriously led by illicit impulses and yeah. feeling a bit conflicted about that and that's yeah I feel like cinematically the twin trope is such a great device for articulating that Mm, definitely Um, I also think of twins as I mean I would I I echo what you said but also add that um, I find it really kind of curious and fascinating when I hear identical twins talking about like this unspoken bond that they feel everything the other person feels mm-hmm. and even if they're like in different locations or something they have this intuition about each other yes yeah it's really I mean they're quite magical people yeah twins. they are magical people you know there's a photographer that I really like uh, I really like her work Alice Alice Hawkins mm-hmm. um made suit probably one of my favorite artists and I follow her on Instagram and she has twins twin boys mm. they're gorgeous little to- like blonde toddlers oh. um and they're like the- she takes a lot of videos of them they're really cute but she said in an interview that she w- she really wanted twins um, and she went to some, she was on holiday somewhere where they visited some kind of like temple or shrine or something, someplace quite holy mm-hmm. and where you could ask for something. And she asked for twins and then she got pregnant with twins. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's quite fairy tale esque. Very fairy tale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are quite kind of almost like mystical beings, you know, like seeing double, especially when they're dressed alike. Like it's it's very uncanny and they're the idea that you could have someone like you out there, the idea of identical twins in particular, I mean, there's fraternal twins too, but especially when they look so, so similar and they share, they share so much DNA. It's almost like reassuring, comforting that you're never alone. Like there's someone always there like you, you can relate Mm. to someone else. Um, But yeah, I just, I find that fascinating. I mean, the other thing I wanted to ask you before we jump into kind of introducing officially um the series is do you have any celebrity doppelgangers and have you ever been mistaken for somebody else I've never been mistaken for somebody else um mm-hmm. lately people lately it's Mia Goth yes <laughs> when I was younger it was Jenny Agatha in the railway children who looked exactly oh, like me okay but as I've grown up I look less like her I ran into someone I hadn't seen for a while and she said, I'm sure everyone says this to you, but the Queen's Gambit, the girl from the Queen's Gambit. And I was like, no one's ever said that to me. No, I don't see that. I don't don't see that as much. No, definitely not. You are like an exact copy, like a replica of Mia Goth. I I sometimes can't tell which is which. Like if you, I remember once you posted an image. Are you podcasting with Mia Goth behind my back? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, this is the ultimate plot twist all this time. I mean, like friends and co-hosts with Mia Goth, you know. I remember once you posted on Instagram, you had a, po- a post of like Mia Goth. I thought it was a selfie. Like I thought you took a selfie. 
I Mia Goss got a better bone structure than me. I think she's. I, it, no. We're gonna do. We're <laughs> gonna do our twins. <laughs> we're about to do our first Patreon episode of the Proust Questionnaire, and we'll, let me get into the things I dislike most about myself that are not like Mia Goss. How about you? So I have been mistaken when I was younger, uh, back in Montreal, like where I grew up. My sister and I were always mistaken for the other person. Like we're not twins. She's like five years younger than me. But we did look quite similar at the time. And sometimes like a friend would be like, hey, I saw you at the mall. And I said, hi, and you were so rude. Like, why didn't you say hi back? And I'm like, I wasn't at the mall. What are you talking about? And it turned out it was my sister. And she just didn't respond because she didn't know who that person was. <laughs> God, that's so, that, so strange. Yeah, like people were absolutely convinced they had seen me somewhere. So I did used to always get mistaken for my sister. but. Um, Obviously, now we live in different countries. So that's not happening anymore. But in terms of celebrity do- doppelgangers, um, no, not really. Uh, I mean, back in the day when I used to wear my hair really, really curly, um, like 90s, 2000s, people used to say I looked like Juliana Margulies from ER. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Which I'll take. Like, I, she had amazing hair. When I was a kid, I used to get called Slash from Guns N' Roses because Aww. of my hair. <laughs> so he was my celebrity doppelganger. <laughs> That's really cute. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that. I love Guns N' Roses. Um, but not so much anymore. I think somebody, I, I think I have like um, some voice doppelgangers. People have told me that I sound like Mystic Meg. <laughs> yes, that has been said to you. I think you've got a nicer voice than Mystic Meg. <laughs> It's funny. Someone like literally, someone said she sounds like an American Mystic Meg, which I'll take. That's, that's I, I I like that comparison. Um, but apart from that, no, not really. Um, but yeah, I guess with the double, it's such an interesting topic in cinema because, as we've kind of all pretty much elucidated so far, um, the double in cinema really reveals like a personality split. It can act as a metaphor of like emotional conflict. Mm. Um, and a really useful device, actually, for articulating like self-division. Um, one thing I really want to recommend to listeners, I mean, I, I know I already recommended it to you, Sarah, but um, just a great text for digesting as you engage with the theme of the double is Otto Rank's book, The Double, mm-hmm. um, published in 1925. I mean, I haven't reread it in a very long time, but it's just very useful. It, not in this episode, but in an, a future episode, I'll give like the top line stuff from that book, which I feel like is gold dust for anyone interested in this topic. It's so important and interesting. Well, so, it kind of originated, like not exactly originated with him, but he's the one that kind of crystallized it within psychoanalytic theory, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, he really is a pioneer of like very systematically studying the idea of the double as a, as a, um, theoretical concept in psychoanalysis. He was a really interesting guy, actually. He was an Austrian psychoanalyst, a writer and a teacher. He was one of Freud's closest colleagues. He was like the managing director of Freud's publishing house, <laughs> which is really cool. Um, if I could go back to Vienna in those days, like turn of the century Vienna, of course, I would have like been Freud's stalker and I would have gone to all his lectures and like begged to work with him. But I think I would have done like a specialization with auto rank (laughs) 
like he was really my fave from that era Mm -hmm. but another text i really want to recommend is edgar Allan poe's short story william wilson oh okay I want to say it right off the bat because this doesn't pertain to what we're going to talk about today in today's episode, but in a future episode, it will be really relevant. So William Wilson, just a top line um, synopsis from that. It's basically a man who's convinced that for his whole life, like from infancy, childhood, young adulthood, like middle age, whatever, every single aspect of his life, he is followed by an exact copy like someone who looks just like him talks like him has the same name i won't say much else about it it's really interesting twist and it's so dark (laughs) Ooh, that sounds amazing okay i'm gonna definitely read that william wilson it's just a short read william wilson you can easily find the pdf online it's such i really recommend it i feel like it's really relevant to much of our later films as well okay great so for today, we're going to be looking at twins. And to be honest, the, the best theory I found for this one is um, more Jungian, actually. Um, it's the idea of individuation. Mm-hmm. So this is when this is like basically understood as when we're trying to separate from something or someone else. And it's how a person is kind of trying to be held distinct from other elements in the world and how they're kind of coming into their own. In Jungian psychology, it's more to do with um, when a person self-develops out of an undifferentiated unconscious. So it's really the process, the process during which innate personality elements and components of the immature psyche and life experiences, they become integrated over time into like a well-functioning whole. So in other words, it's really about maturing out of this kind of undifferentiated mass mm-hmm. and really separating and and like teasing out your own personality and becoming a little bit more distinct and kind of enforcing that process of separation which actually can be very traumatic yeah what does he say in dead ringers separation can be terribly painful or terrible yeah. i can't remember yeah. what he says but something like that yeah mm. yeah absolutely Um, But there's also like a stage where the individual transcends group attachment and kind of narcissistic self-absorption and the development of the individual as as a person distinct from the group dynamic becomes important as well. So it's like one thing to differentiate from your own unconscious, but also at a different level, you kind of also... Um, assert yourself and affirm your own identity that is different from the group Mm -hmm. you know the mass of the group and I think that becomes particularly important when we're looking at twins because in a way like it must be really psychologically challenging when you, you have someone who looks just like you and here you are you're trying to make your own path in the world and people are getting the two of you confused all the time I know I don't know how you would cope I, I had twins at my school and they did the same A-levels and then they applied for the same course at the same university. Mm-hmm. Um, so they must have been going, they got went through that until early adulthood. Just wow. how, you know, they did, They just were into the same things. So they just stayed together all the time. Wow. I mean, I, I'm sure that that can also be very comforting. Pe- some people may, might not want to or need to completely separate. And if they're living functionally like that, it makes sense for them, mm. you know? But I think maybe individuation um, 
And this type of separation is something more abstract that we all face, irrespective of whether we're a twin or not. And the twin trope is a great way to kind of illustrate that Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it is like just a visual representation of a kind of monolith of this of the individual looking like someone else. I mean, individuation is a very natural and necessary process, but it the, the point that Carl Jung makes is that it's very painful. You know, he um, he really w- would like encourage his patients to like work through that pain of separating. Mm. It obviously originates in uh, Freud's work on separation anxiety from the mother's body. The idea that you know, the baby's born and they don't know that they're still not in the room, you know, for them, they, they might still want to find comfort in feeling attached to the caregiver's body, to their mother's body. Mm. And the process of gaining self-confidence and autonomy and being able to do things over time on their own is exciting, but also painful because now they're separating from their mother's body. And Freud actually called that the first psychic wound. Mm. Which is very Cronenbergian. Yeah, very. (laughs) So that was it. That was just my theory, really. Okay, cool. So which film do you want to speak about first? I think we should start off with Dead Ringers. Okay, cool. Um, I have a synopsis ready to go. Great. Um, Loosely based on the true story of Stuart and Cyril Marcus, Dead Ringers follows twin gynecologists Elliot and Beverly Mantle. Though equally talented as doctors, Beverly lives in the shadow of the more confident Elliot, only having sexual relationships with the women Elliot seduces, with both brothers pretending to be one. When an actress, Claire Naveau, visits their clinic for infertility, the twins discover that she has three cervixes leading to three wombs and as a result will never become pregnant. Mm. Elliot persuades Beverly to begin their usual routine with her, only for Beverly to become emotionally attached and begin to want something all to himself. Um, David Cronenberg, firstly, what are your thoughts on him? Do you like him as a director? Actually, I... I'm trying to think of all of the David Cronenberg films. I've never mm-hmm. really developed much of an emotional attachment to David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I think that's not invited um, in his films, mm-hmm. you know, they're very, they're off-putting and cold, generally. Yeah. They're very alienating. <laughs> alienating is the exact word um, for them. So even though I've seen quite a few, that alienating um sort of mood definitely kind of makes me keep my distance Mm -hmm. um but I think I mean I think he's interesting I'm interested in like I like Canadians yeah (laughs) obviously um and so yeah I think he's a really interesting director and he's clearly been so influential on other directors that I really like so um and obviously he's very Freudian um as well so um generally uh, is not he, I wouldn't call him a favorite director mm-hmm. but his his work definitely lends itself to being discussed and explored on this oh, podcast definitely. yeah it's a very he's a very sort of projections podcast director isn't definitely. He? <laughs> um yeah I, I I tend to agree with you if I'm watching his films I, they're not like comfort watches for me they're mm-hmm definitely as you say rightly very deliberately distancing the viewer I mean I I think he's a very impressive director in terms of his being able to kind of formulate this very identifiable 
cinematic language like mm-hmm. we know we're watching a Cronenberg film and that's exciting and that's cool uh, and I do love and appreciate the fact that he really is a Freudian like in every respect he's a Freudian scholar I mean he directed The Dangerous Method mm-hmm. and I always love it when directors are consciously psychoanalytic that's exciting yeah definitely I, I feel like I only ever turn to his films for a cerebral motivation like it's never like visceral I, I, for me even though it's kind of paradoxical because so much of it is just body horror you I know? know you know what's so strange about these two films is that they they purport to both be erotic mm. and they're not sexy no. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> and they're not like there's nothing they just they just leave me totally cold yeah. Um, like actually, especially Lamont Double, which we'll discuss oh, after. Yeah. <laughs> but th- with both these, you know, they're supposed to be about like they're supposed to be full of sex and like kinky stuff, and mm-hmm. they're all clinical. They're so clinical, and it's it's really I don't know. I think that's what's so alien. That's partly what's so alienating about them. Yeah, um, and you're right. Like not comforting is exactly it. Because they do deal in horror, and usually I find horror to be comforting. Me too. Um, and like very reinforcing of certain kind of like experiences and feelings that I feel like I need to feel mm-hmm. um yeah not not in this case I'm always left with kind of a a psychic wound <laughs> a psychic wound yeah, yeah exactly no absolutely like the, I and I think that's maybe an interesting feature of body horror because mm. you think you're going to be so immersed in that world of the flesh and like so connected to the pain of the body but it's particularly in these two films, the intimacy of the body is a red herring. It's actually very distancing and very alienating. Mm. So yeah, I agree. I tend to agree with you. Um, I love the casting of Jeremy Irons. He's perfect. Mm, as he is. The, basically like a one-man show, the whole movie. He's playing two different people. I love also their name, the Mantle Brothers. It makes me think of the Mental Brothers. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> they are shown a little bit to be kind of taking every step of life together mm-hmm. throughout their lives. Like they've always had the, the same interests. They've gone to the same schools. They, you know, they're now they're both practicing gynecology together. Um, they live together and, and they, they sleep with the together. same women. They really share everything and they pose as each other. Like they're interchangeable. Um, there was a line from a moment in the film where, I think it was Elliot who's like the more so Elliot is the more like socially adept one. He's kind of like a Casanova and he delivers all the public presentations. And Beverly is the kind of behind the scenes guy who Mm. grinds out all the difficult research and then also kind of deals with the personal anxieties of his patients as Mm. well. So, I mean, I've read a couple of things where people have said that the whole film is just an allegory. They're just the same person with different conflicting desires. Mm, I think that's a good way to read it. Mm, mm. But then, so this really blew my mind. Um, Someone said that it's actually a reviewer on YouTube. I found who goes by his channel is called a Sage reviews. Mm -hmm. He has a great, I really recommend, um, I, I only literally just discovered it today while I was on a walk. I listened to it. <laughs> um, and he basically argues that the twins they have this weird uh, psychosexual relationship where they do feel compelled to sleep with the, with the same woman without necessarily the woman knowing. And they, the fact that they're both also gynecologists dealing with female reproductive organs 
it's it shows their desire to return to the womb mm. and just live inside that in utero bubble together where they're just it's just the two of them and the whole world oh that's so lovely that's such a great that's such a great reading of the film yeah it really is I mean I hope I can find this person on social media so I can tag him and give credit but I just really like that I feel like that really resolved the film for me especially because they sleep with a woman with three wombs so it's just like <laughs> they they're compensating for their like larger size and they got themselves like a little little mini mansion of a womb <laughs> so that they can like take time apart and come together in the communal area <laughs> Okay, I really love what you just added to a Sage <laughs> Reviews uh, reading of the film. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that is a really interesting reading because so much of this is this weird fascination with female parts. Mm. And that was their first home, you yeah. know, something in, in that world before they were born uh, made them so interconnected that nothing after birth can compare. So they're just constantly living out their womb life. You know? There's stuff that supports that as well, because obviously like the womb is a very watery place. Yeah. And in the beginning of the film, they ask that girl to have sex with them. And they say, do you want to get into the bath and have sex with us? Oh yeah. Because they, they're, they're doing, they're thinking about fish, I think. Yes. Um, but they say, do you want to get into the bath and have sex with us? So which, oh again, is like God. this kind of womb-like place. That is true. Um, and then it kind of ends in this sort of like this small space that they've just kind of been inhabiting together. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it does definitely support for that reading. I think so, too. I think he really, like, captured it. Mm. Um, this weird compulsion to also lie about their identity to their lovers. Mm. And also, you know, when... Um, I think it was Elliot who hired like twin sex workers. Yes. And you know, when he says to them, like one of you has to call me Beverly and the other has to call me Elliot. Mm. And so I feel like that was maybe his attempt to reach, to try and reach his brother's erotic experience with a woman. He could literally ex impersonate him during sex. But also maybe an attempt to, feel like but to sort of bring the two halves of his yeah. character together oh wow yeah um and to try and which i mean is like is really how a mature adult is supposed to have sex <laughs> like you know integrated <laughs> as like the person that they really are as opposed to the, like the, both the person that they are and the person that they fant fantasize about being you know yeah um yeah 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 definitely i mean this is like a re this film for me is like a real uh, warning against what can happen when people resist individuation mm. like when you are you feel so comforted and reassured in your little womb-like world where you're just under a blanket like a, a metaphorical blanket of not challenging yourself to evolve you're just kind of like stagnating in that even pre-birth develop developmental phase that you're just copying your DNA double mm. and you, you're not making any attempts really to, I guess, distinguish yourself in any good or bad. Like you, you're, you're just, you're, you're literally just following this mold that was set out for you. And I think maybe that's why Beverly is in so much pain 
um, and he resorts to like drug abuse mm-hmm. because he's actually trying to escape the pain that is caused by not individuating, by not separating from his brother. Yeah, it's, it's so I don't know. I always think it's really interesting when you when you show that uh, sort of twin struggle on screen or in literature because mm. it's initially so painful for the one that's submissive and trying to break out mm-hmm. and then it's always like extra almost extravagantly more painful for the dominant twin that's lost the kind of comfort of having um. someone to boss around <laughs> which is what you have like as soon as as soon as Beverly gets better Elliot just disintegrates again also into drug abuse yeah um so yeah I think it's it's interesting about the I don't know it's painful for both both sides of that personality it's oh, just yeah. painful for one person later yeah, I don't know yeah. what that means in terms of individuation but I suppose maybe that's he's the person that avoided it the longest for um Elliot you know he was probably more in denial mm. he you know he probably just benefited more from that lifestyle because he got the glamorous side of things you know uh where he was kind of adulated in the medical community and he was out into the world more a little bit whereas Beverly is he, he's really stuck but on the other hand it's Elliot that is more insistent that they do everything together I know so it's Elliot that has more trouble being, that is true um doing things on his own because you would think you know as he's got the better side of the deal you would think yeah. that what's stopping him from just going out and living yeah um, but he can't seem to do that he no he can't he's really attached like in a pathological way yeah I mean speaking of attachment I mean for me the the enduring image of this film it's when you know that dream that Beverly has that he and his brother are Siamese twins Mm -hmm. or something that they're literally joined at the hip and they're in bed with Claire who then bends down and starts like tearing at the area where they're connected with her teeth yes it's, I mean, that is a classic Cronenberg. That's probably the most Cronenbergian moment in the film. Um, but I, I, I feel like it, it sort of echoes the process of birth. It's like something splits out, you know? Yeah, definitely. And so, and, a, and like a mother figure, like, because mm. um, probably animal, if, if there are like umbilical cords or, you know, things that need to be broken in yeah. birth with animals, they'll bite them, won't they? Yeah. So it, it's about them literally being born I suppose or like they're just in a state of having been born they have to confront their birth which coincides with their individuation is one if if one of them were to enter into a serious relationship with Claire you know like she really will be the separating device in that in that conjoined situation because Mm. one will have to just lead a little bit more of an independent life through his new relationship with someone else um so yeah she will she will be that catalyst for individuation but also you know it occurred to me the connective membrane or whatever that was the thing that conjoined them I feel like it looked very phallic (laughs) like it just looked like an another phallus on their on their body and it sort of suggested to me that their intimate bond maybe is the center of power for the mantle twins. Like their joining together has been eroticized. Mm. Um, and it is like excitable, like a human penis or whatever. Like it looks as, it lo- I mean, it really looked at first like Claire was going to perform fellatio. Like mm. when she first lowers her head. But I think that was intentional because I think that 
maybe it was trying to suggest that their connection was eroticized you know Mm. yeah I think that's I think that's definitely the case oh that's so interesting I wish kind of there had been more with Claire in and their relationship like I really like the scene with her confronting both of them at the restaurant yeah she is amazing and also just that more was made of her kind of mutant condition yeah because that was that was truly really interesting I guess in that way she also was a perfect like mother figure for them because she had this like womb that just or these wombs that desperately want to be filled Mm -hmm. and absolutely no way of filling them so yeah she's kind of like she's Mm -hmm. she's vacant property I suppose (laughs) yeah for them um yeah I think she's an amazing and interesting character and I think all of I thought it was really interesting that you know that these kind of gynecological tools that he like examination tools that he or like surgical tools that he builds yeah you know they look like kind of these objects of horror for destroying women's insides wow um, yeah but at the end he he says she says what are they for and he says it, they're for separating identical twins oh yeah so they're right. not like it's they're not sort of they're not this horror like object of horror at all there mm. well I suppose they are for identical twins but not for women so it's not as woman hating a film as it seems to be on the yeah on the, initially <laughs> wow that's such a good point I mean there really is a very fetishistic interest in the film with these tools isn't there yeah there really is and I can't really work out what it is it, they um, almost look like sex toys <laughs> I suppose if you can cons- if you do consider them as one person Hmm. you know one person that is kind of split or one person that can't sort of accept a set you know certain drives and desires mm-hmm. he says you know he's he's saying he you know has these tools built and he says listen they look just like everyone else on the outside but on the inside they're different you know yeah. because they you know he's obsessed with this idea that these women are are not right inside so okay. i don't know i just think it kind of reveals something about like a misunderstanding of um of I'm not quite there yet but some kind of misunderstanding of people that are all whole if yes. in the way in the way that he isn't I suppose okay yeah okay I, I'm, I'm with you I like think he just right. wants to like scoop out like the insides <laughs> yeah. of of a regular integrated person you know yeah um, oh my god I think that's true because yes it's just this paranoia this suspicion that there's something inside of these women that are not is not inside of him yes um or they work differently in some way and he like the only way he can think of of figuring that out is surgically yeah because that's his kind of background mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know it's an it's a thought that just occurred to me so it's half formed No, no, I think you're really onto something there because it makes me think also that it fits into this little like nagging idea I had about them almost like play acting as gynecologists. Mm. So as if they're like cosplaying, like LARPing, you know, live action role play. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just like, hey, why don't we use these toys and like, let's play together. And it almost seems like they're very um developmentally stunted yeah and so undifferentiated like because they haven't individuated they haven't separated at all that that makes them very immature and when they are confronted with their you know female patients there's almost this jealousy and resentment and as you say they want to like use these blunt tools to just kind of like awkwardly scoop something out Mm. 
Oh my God. I really love what you said. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that there is definitely a kind of doubling of kind of like play acting scenes. Cause you have the scene mm-hmm. in the beginning where they're pl- sort of playing operation uh, yeah. and then it sort of ends up with them again playing operation except yes. for now they're doing it on each other as opposed to on like a little model that's right so there is that yeah you're right it kind of bookends the film doesn't it yeah it does what did you think of their absolutely bonkers surgeons outfits like what those red like it makes them look like bishops or yeah. something you know you know I've got to say not as I didn't think mm. as much of them as I did yeah. about their clinic outfits which okay. are dressing gowns oh yeah they are dressing gowns aren't they and they're the same as the <laughs> dressing gowns that the patients wear of course they're just on backwards or something they're like <laughs> but they're the same it's very much that you know that sort of trope of like oh in uh-huh. in here you can't tell who's the doctor and who's the patient that like mental institution trope you know mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. Uh, so like yeah it's I think it's very interesting that they're dressed the same as the pa- as the as the clients wow um it's it and yeah I don't know what to think of those like crazy blood red um surgical robes they're like obviously the really iconic outfit but yeah I do think I the first thing I thought was why is he wearing a dressing gown as as a doctor it's just like such a strange thing to wear exactly yeah you're right I hadn't occurred to me I kind of took it for granted but you're right it's as if they haven't even differentiated from their patients but basically and also because they just haven't different it's like um Mm. it's like non-uniform or like non-uniform like you know um like what soldiers used to wear when they on their days off you know like Mm. wear just wear a dressing like a smoking (laughs) dressing gown um so yeah it kind of undermines their authority doesn't it it really does it's really interesting part of me felt like maybe the red surgeon's outfits because everyone in the surge, you know, the surgery room has to wear that uniform, so that is an interesting like doubling feature as well. Like you don't know who's who, mm. um, and it kind of blends all these different indiv- individuals together as a mass of you know a medical event. Yeah. Um, but the the choice of the color and just the design of it was intriguing to me. I haven't, I don't have any fully formed thoughts on it about why it made me think of like religious outfits it does co- it's definitely it definitely right? looks religious definitely I suppose playing god playing god or maybe being in a cult yeah definitely like, but the red was striking to me because it is so different to the rest of the color palette in the film mm. everything else is so kind of blue tinged and the color grading is so different to suddenly like being confronted with this red and it's such a great shade as well yeah, it's amazing. It's I think that the Soska sisters uh, nodded to it in America Mary. Oh yeah, because they love that film. Obviously, they're twins. Yeah, and they, you know, love love that film. Um, and another America another Mary, set of great uh, Canadians. Another well. set of Canadians, <laughs> amazing Canadians. There's actually a Switchblade Sisters episode where they talk about Dead Ringers. Um, oh right, and it's yeah. really interesting. And there's a bit of an insight. I mean, obviously, they take it as you know, obviously at face value as twins, a mm-hmm. film about twins. <laughs> so yeah, but it's really, it's interesting. It's, I would definitely recommend it for a listen. Just the final thing I wanted to say about enduring images for me in this film, you know, like, I think it is the last scene where one twin is cradling the other and it seems to be suggesting that he's died. Mm. It really reminded me of 
I'm going to actually post this on Insta stories for our followers or our listeners, um, because it's really worth, worth a look. Um, so, you know, David Bowie, he had a, an album released in 1999 called Ours. Mm. And on the cover, um, it, there's a really interesting reference to this Renaissance uh, sculpture by uh, Michelangelo called La Pieta. Um, I believe it's in uh, Vatican City. Um, and it depicts the Virgin Mary cradling the body of Jesus after the crucifixion. Do you know which one I'm yeah, talking about? I, I know which one you're talking about. I hadn't. I was not familiar with this sculpture before I looked into that cover, like that album cover. But the cover, um, the, the the Bowie cover depicts the short-haired David Bowie persona from the previous album, Earthling, mm-hmm. and he's exhausted and he's like laying on the on the floor, but resting in the arms of the long-haired, rejuvenated version of Bowie, who's like cradling him. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and Bowie said that that was a direct reference to La Pieta. And it kind of made me think of, because, I mean, Bowie was known for, you know, constantly changing his image. And he said that he wanted to make that cover to kind of pay homage and respect to his previous iteration so that he could move forward, essentially, like, individuate from his last persona, because he understood how, how things could really go awry if he always stayed in the same persona and didn't change. Mm. Um, he, he felt that was toxic for him. So he was constantly changing and shedding his skin, like his artistic skin and stuff. And it may, I just wondered whether that final image in Dead Ringers is, I don't know if it was a conscious nod to La Pieta or, or just like a maybe humane way of acknowledging your former self as you move on kind of thing yeah I think that's very possible yeah um apart from he doesn't move on (laughs) no he doesn't move on exactly um I mean it's also I suppose I mean obviously like as if if you think about them longing to be back like inside their mother then I suppose the one that kills them is kind of like doing in this kind of motherly role Mm -hmm. of like kind of returning them back together Oh, so, wow. so that would make sense with the you know Virgin Mary and Jesus. Okay, so that's interesting. So it's not so much a, a progression as it is a regression. Yeah, to the room. Oh and it's God. it's also like a really unnatural regression because your mother's not supposed to be around when you die. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Okay, no, you've actually really resolved that problem for me because I was like, is this supposed to be a positive? sign from them but no I, it's not it's really not there's still a hot mess and yeah. okay no I like what I like where you took that you're right it is it is an, a, a kind of insistent pers- um continuation of that longing to live in the, the bubble of the womb again yes oh wow I feel like I don't know what else I can say about this movie I feel like maybe we've I don't know for me personally I would love to know what else you think I actually I don't think I have any other thoughts on Dead Ringers mm. at the moment I actually you know when you said that thing about them wanting to return to the womb I just mm. think that's kind of solved the film yeah in a way. isn't it um so yeah now, now I can't get past that so I think that's 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 it for me I know I feel like that really explained the whole psyche of the film mm-hmm. as soon as I, I heard the, the guy say it I was like yeah that's it like there's nothing more here it's really that preoccupation that colors the whole film yeah definitely wow 
Well, I feel like it, that ties in actually with the next movie. Yes, yeah, so let's move on uh, to Le yeah. Mans Dublin 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A rather lost young woman named Chloe seeks help from a psychotherapist to cure her persistent stomach aches. Mm-hmm. As her problems begin to cease, Chloe and her therapist Paul begin to fall in love, and when their sessions end, they begin a relationship. And I've editorialized here and said, which, if you didn't know, is rogue. <laughs> yes. Um, when they move in together, Chloe discovers that Paul is hiding both his real last name and the fact that he has a twin brother from her, who is mm. also a therapist. In order to dig into the mystery, Chloe begins sessions with the twin, Louis, who has some unconventional methods of treatment. He shows us. So, oh my god! <laughs> so much in common with Dead Ringers. It must have been a. It must have been a source of research for Francois Ozon, because. I know. It is. It's almost uncannily similar. It's like, very similar. It's a twin. It's a twin <laughs> yeah. of that ringer. Yeah, it really is. Like you know, the it really is. these like sort of these arrogance of these of this these twins with their unconventional mm-hmm. methods. It's like it's actually very similar, and the fact that the opening scene is a cervix. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So much. So much similar. Um, I had trouble with this film until it mm-hmm. ended, and then I wished that I had time to watch it again. Okay, tell me more about that. I okay, we're in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> How did this movie make you feel, Sarah? I think I. I mean, I was a bit worried actually about mm. by about halfway through the film. I was just, I was, I felt quite battered about by it, obviously, because mm. I'm I've been interested in the rogue therapist for a mm. while, so it's a really interesting film to watch in that in that way. But I think to have a film that starts off with a therapist having an affair with a patient which is is so is so sort of damaging and yeah. to the psycho you know to the psychoanalytic relationship mm-hmm. between therapist and patient um and then to have this sort of rapey second relationship kind of oh, continually gosh. be like coded as consensual when it's it's just very violent yeah. was like was t- t- tough and then when they get to the and like the whole time I'm watching it I'm thinking he can't be real he just can't be real he's so <laughs> malevolent like he's worse than a David Lynch villain like he can't be a real person he's so awful so malevolent so violent mm. and at the point where they you know they visit the she visits the ex-girlfriend and right. they talk about that rape and then they kind of, and then they discuss that in terms of like, she wanted it. It was her fault. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and then, then after that, I start, I mean, I, I, and the whole time I was just like, it can't be real. It can't be real. It can't be real. It's okay. But I had to really self-soothe through the first three quarters of the film. Mm. And then the end of the film, obviously, which we're going, we cannot discuss without spoilers. So if you haven't watched Le Monde Double before listening, go and watch it. Pause um, here and come back. Pause here. You will thank <laughs> us. But the ending of the film is such a like, is so bonkers, and it just turns <laughs> all of the first you know hour and a half on its head. And now I feel like I have to go back and readdress that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> I know. I mean. Th- First of all, like it, it, you're right. Like I agree with um, how uncomfortable. Like I re- I relate to how uncomfortable you felt mm. watching this film in terms of all the boundaries being transgressed in therapy. At first, in a very kind of muted way, where okay, when Paul starts developing feelings for Chloe, 
you know, he tells her, I have to end this relation, you know, this therapeutic relationship becomes because I have feelings for you. Mm. Um, okay, fine. I mean, that is the right thing to do. But then they like start having a relationship in real life and she moves in, etc. I don't I'm not sure how I feel about that, you know? Mm. I mean, um, I'm not really condemning people who do that as at least there is that boundary. Yeah, where... obviously at least he didn't continue to be no. a therapist. Exactly, exactly. But even within that internal structure, there's still a degree of like, ooh, okay, he knows all this stuff about her and maybe there's been a kind of imbalance in the relationship because he hasn't told her stuff the way that she has. He hasn't opened up. It hasn't been reciprocal, mm. you know? So, okay, fine. I mean, those are just like, little nuances that people can work out if they're committed in a safe committed relationship but to then take it to the extreme of her going to see this absolutely insane psychoanalyst who is also i mean the whole variable session thing you know where like he decides when the session will end sometimes it'll be just after five minutes and he still demands 150 euros yeah. from her that's a very lacanian thing um, I, I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that was a real thing. It reminded me of the Jamie Bell character in Nymphomaniac. <gasps> oh my God. It's, That's right. Um, so is that is the Jamie Bell character in Nymphomaniac a comment on that form of therapy? On Lacan. <laughs> on Lacan, yeah. Because it's so it's so sadistic to do that to someone. Like you make an appointment, the person's never going to know how long the session will last. Yeah, and the, but if it ends, the thing, then if it ends, you don't know why. You don't know what you did to not impress right. them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You never know the motivations of why the session has ended, and it's just so confronting and like it can feel toxic you know mm. um especially if you're just on the verge of something and the person says right okay we stop here bye see you next time yeah it can feel very abandoning and very like dismissive but Lacan did that on purpose he I mean he was a bit brutal like that like he this is a very controversial thing in psychoanalysis the variable length session mm. it, it it originated in Lacan he was the proponent of that the first proponent of that And he said, why should we f make our patients feel as comfortable as they do? Why not provoke them? You know, we need we need them to be on kept on their toes. We need them to feel constantly like activated psychically and stuff. I mean, I can kind of understand the rationale, mm. but in practice, it's I feel like it's sadistic. <laughs> like, it is sadistic. It's really sadistic to take the one place that people have for like private reflection with mm -hmm. assistance and to then turn it into an ordeal is just yeah. is you know that's just crazy it is I feel, yeah it is very brutalizing and I would I would have thought that it would have it would take like someone really sensitive and really thoughtful to try and make that work in the therapy and get the kind of associations that they want to provoke while also making the person feel safe. But I just don't see how that could just universally be applied and people come away from that feeling safe. Like it just is very, it's just very dismissive and rude it is. <laughs> and expensive. Like you're not, you know, if we're just looking at it, like the financial value of something, um, imagine being told that, you know, you're just there for five minutes and you still have to pay the full price. Like the yeah. price 
doesn't adjust to the time that you're there. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm glad I watched it last night and not today. Mm. Um, partly because it made Dead Ringers like a, like a, like a comedy, you know, it just, <laughs> it made Dead Ringers so much easier to watch, but also because I needed some time to stop being angry about the sex scenes. Um, because I just hated them so much the bit where he's like next time I'm gonna make you come and then like next time they're having sex he's just like bashing her cervix repeatedly yeah and it's just like really really are you going to do this to the women of the world and the you know and the young boys that watch this watch this film (laughs) and think that that's true it's just you know I know that's not what it, it just like there was just such a misunderstanding of what good sex is in this film um, and it really annoyed me. It made me so furious. It's but so obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. It's just like, but obviously it's, it has to be like that because you, you know, like the misogyny has to be so over the mm. top um, yeah. because if we you know if what it, it's, what it, its meaning is, but it's still hard. It's hard to take as a modern woman. You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like those scenes are, they they're very violating. Yeah, and um, she literally says no to him a lot. And oh yeah, he, yeah. So yeah, yeah, and he, he I mean, there's definitely moments where that can be classified as rape because mm. she's saying no and he's still doing it. I mean, I okay. Here's I have a confession to make. I actually because you know how every year I do like a top ten um movies mm. from the year this was my film of the year in 2017 wow yeah no I don't, I've always known that you like this film a lot yeah Definitely. I I went to see this at the cinema I went to see it at the ICA and I was engrossed I mean I was annoyed as well I had those same reactions to the the, tw- the psychoanalyst twin I hated him mm. but I what I loved about it was the kind of like it it just really reminded me of Roman Polanski like I felt like I was watching a Polanski film um like almost like the tenant and Rosemary's baby kind of locked together in a weird way it Um, it reminded me of um Eric Romer um, oh yeah La Collectioners um where you go through this I mean which was again was an ordeal I went with Jordan my friend Jordan Mm -hmm. and um it was it was horrible to sit through it, yeah. and you know, and watch this girl be treated so appallingly, and by these horrible guys, these horrible soft boys um, <laughs> that she's on holiday with. And then, like you know, given a bit of time, I, I love that film. I think it's very, like, really smart, really good, and I would watch it again. So yeah. it's the exact. I had a similar. I mean, both French, so maybe both French. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's a, it's a very French film. <laughs> like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess because I watched it like a few years ago, I watched it four years ago, and I've, I keep coming back to this thing where I feel like the whole twin business mm. may just be um, something that directs us into a viewing experience that suggests doubling in a very uncanny way, mm-hmm. and that maybe this doubling effect has more to do with actual like psych- psychotherapy itself and what we're a- what we're actually doing in psychotherapy which is seeing yourself twinned in the therapeutic session so like the the talking function externalizing your inner conflict so that they're replicated in the transference relationship with the analyst okay, okay. and so you're kind of like it's it's almost like you're kind of sending out this um I don't know, like a Sims character of yourself in the in the analysis, <laughs> like this double, you know, 
um, or hologram of yourself there and you're you're externalizing all your stuff and it comes out in the way that it does in your speech and your in your in in how you interact with your analyst mm -hmm. and so you are actually twinning yourself but in a very difficult painful way um and so maybe the sexual relationship that develops with Paul's twin is meant to be wholly like this allegory of falling in love with your therapist and how toxic that really is I think this is the aspect of the relationship that then gets eroticized. It's not so much that you're really in love with your therapist or you really want to have sex with them. It's that your interactions and your like externalization of yourself in this transference relationship is what animates you. It makes you keep coming back for more and it sends you into action. And this is the erotic element. And we feel then compelled to investigate ourselves further and that's what we really love it's that searching element that psychotherapy offers us and sometimes that can feel very rapey and weird because you know repression once you start like unlocking all the stuff you've repressed it can feel really violating it can feel like you're doing harm to yourself because mm. you're causing yourself to remember all this horrible shit <laughs> all this trauma and all this conflict that you like neatly packed stored away somewhere else you don't have to think about it and so maybe that horrible those horrible sex scenes are just this very kind of clumsy cinematic device that shows what we're really doing to ourselves like we're violating ourselves but hopefully for a good reason <laughs> I knew that you would make this all okay like, oh, as I actually watched it, I actually watched it with my flatmate last night and at the end she said well thank you for dragging me into that and oh, no. I was like it's okay I'm gonna talk to Mary and she's gonna explain <laughs> what it was I mean hopefully I'm hopefully it, it it is the right track and it is a good resolution of the film I'm, honestly that is what I feel about it I think it's yeah I think that's really it's really interesting um, because she really goes on this crazy trip doesn't she she like, really does and it gets more and more like a fantasy as it goes yeah. on of you know obviously at some point you can you can sort of tell that it's you know that yeah. she's in this so that's kind of like her interior the like the way that her sort of in psycho like psyche perceives the the searching the searching yeah and the, the well like just the, ther the therapeutic journey the therapeutic journey mm -hmm. exactly and what she's tr actually experiencing in her body that sort of merges with her psyche because um you know like the, she's we, we hear her saying things like um i dreamt about you and you were my gynecologist mm. you know like that's very dead ringers actually yeah <laughs> but i mean that maybe that's not maybe that's um more like it's almost like a dream work in terms of like she's too afraid to say the thing that she really repressed so she comes out in this disguised fantasy so we understand that you know she really has a lot of guilt from being a twin that might have absorbed her her sister her sibling mm -hmm. right and in utero like this apparently i looked it up this is a real thing like sometimes it's meant to be a set of twins and then the cells do something and then one twin just it's like they consume it's like a cannibalistic thing that happens in the womb and one dominant sibling's sibling absorbs the other one but is it it's not possible for a person to sense that they've done that without knowing 
No, 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 that is not possible. That is not possible. So I guess that's the fantasy element of the movie. But I just wondered whether if I don't know whether like that is meant to be taken seriously as a real thing that happened to this character in her past or whether it is just that old Jungian idea of the like shadow side of yourself that you want to absorb in order to individuate move on mature you know become more differentiated so she's got these conflicting desires and she doesn't you know she doesn't know how to reconcile those parts of her so do you think the thing that she's really working through is not the in utero twin it's Mm -hmm. the relationship it's the romantic relationship with the therapist yeah 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 I do I think that's really interesting I do um you know because let's face it when like the decision to to like move in with someone who used to be your therapist that is like okay I'm sure people can do it successfully and I'm sure I I don't want to bash anyone who does that Mm. but it 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 probably is worth kind of qualifying that with saying that it can be really challenging to um, figure out who that person really is because you've already been so open yeah you know, like you've been so vulnerable and they haven't, that relationship hasn't progressed in a reciprocal way. And it's easy then to kind of come up, like, and we know in the film, like when she finds this passport and she starts to figure out that there's two of them. Yeah. That's a, that's just a great device to suggest that she just doesn't know this person. Yeah. Like he has a whole backstory that she has no idea about because they haven't progressed at the same rate. And this is just a result, an outcome of moving in with your therapist after you've ended analysis and you're now lovers. So that's why I feel like that great, you know, when they're in the bedroom and this is the enduring image of this film for me, when she has this crazy hallucination that Paul's twin brother, Mm -hmm. the psychoanalyst comes into the room and they both, they're, you know, that's also very like dead ringers when they're all having sex together. But then she becomes like a Siamese twin or something like that was so freaky yeah it's an amazing set piece of in the film definitely as is I mean as is the one where they're both sitting opposite each other naked in the oh yeah I love that which actually uh, now you say it it really kind of symbolizes this desire for them to be equal in this space yeah when they when they weren't before when they weren't effectively naked and he was dressed exactly exactly that's her kind of taking on like reclaiming her power in a way Mm -hmm. like forcing him to be vulnerable too so that they can be on equal footing like the whole pegging thing I feel is also very equalizing definitely and that's that's the kind of you know that so everything that kind of happens on like Paul's side of the film is like the actual you know the the talking side of the therapy or like the actual sort of concrete mm-hmm. and healthy devices that they're using mm. to kind of you know gain this <laughs> equality and then everything on Louis's side of the film is like the kind of the response to that in the kind of exactly. turmoil that's so interesting and so that's um and so she that actually really makes sense because did you notice when they show the picture of so, you know, just to, if you, if you insist on not watching the film, mm-hmm. at the end of the film, you know, she confronts these brothers and shoots one of them. And then this kind of, 
thing starts pulsating. She she thinks she's pregnant. She doesn't know which one she's pregnant by. Which, by the way, if you got pregnant by an identical twin, um, there's no way of knowing, is there? No. It's so interesting. There's... Genetically identical. They're identical. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, um, so yeah, this thing is kind of pulsating in her mm. in her stomach, and then they take her to the hospital, and and then it turns out that she has this uh, cyst, which is her like fetal mm. twin. Yeah. Um, and the picture that they show, they're like, "Would you like to see the picture?" <laughs> it's is it not the artwork from the gallery that she works? It in? is. Yeah, which I thought was great. So it it's is. just she's just kind of take. So like her like it's like unconscious is taking things from real life, exactly. And like using them in this kind of demented, demented, pervy way, basically. Yeah. It is a reference to the gallery space she works in because also what's what's interesting is that whatever that exhibition is where she works don't you feel like it looks like placenta or yeah. something like it's very womb like that whole space like sometimes it's just shown the, the camera just pans on her and shows her moving through the gallery and through these corridors which look like the birth canal and um and then she's in this big space that's like weird flesh hanging from the ceiling that looks like pregnancy fluid or whatever I, I don't know I, I'm really not very au fait with the biological no I know you're not <laughs> this stuff scares the hell out of me actually how, but... how did you find the <laughs> cervical scenes then um I was a bit I was a bit squeamish about that I'm not mm. gonna lie like that did really terrify me um so th- in that way I feel like it is a very effective horror film for me because I have a pregnancy phobia. Yeah, definitely. It is a horror film. It's uh it's yeah. very frightening towards the end. It really is. Well, it's just also just like a dread tension inducing kind of film. Oh yeah. Yeah, it really really is. And I really but I really like the main act you know the the actress um Marine Vacht. Is that how you say her surname? Yeah, I like her too, but I think that Ozan is so obsessed with her that yeah. it like gets in the way of me liking her because I watched that mm. film Jeune et Jolie, mm-hmm. um, which I just thought was a useless film. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just a total like male fantasy of like a yeah. really pretty girl who goes into sex work. Mm. Um, and so, you know, in the way that like it's hard to like Kira Knightley because Joe Wright is so obsessed with her. Yeah. It's also hard to like, um, is it Marine mm-hmm. Fast because Ozan is so obsessed with her. And it's like yeah. it's hard to get past his obsession <laughs> to have like a you know, re- audience relationship with her. You wow. know, especially all that all of those sex scenes, all of that writhing, like all of I know. You know, um, <laughs> It's just like, oh, you know, I'm going to write a film for her with long hair and then I'm going to write a film for her with short hair. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, it's all very, it, it, it's not, I find it annoying. But uh, she is very good yeah. at it. She definitely is really good in it. Yeah, definitely. I just um, love uh, Jacqueline Bisset as her mother yeah, as well. Oh and it, it just makes me wonder, did, you know, obviously when you get, have like a small part like that, did they just give her her bit of the script and say, you know, come and film for a day? And then, you know, she must have gone to the premiere and been like, what the fuck <laughs> am I in? Because she's in a yeah, relatively exactly. normal bit of the film. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so true. She was like hoodwinked into being in this insane movie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, that's so funny. I mean, I don't have any other associations, but 
what about you? What, I, do you? what do you have left to say about Lamandouble? It definitely, well, your reading definitely cleared up the things mm-hmm. that I was suspecting and noticing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, because as, you know, as time goes on, there is just so much stuff that pops up in the kind of fantasy space. Mm-hmm. That especially, I really liked the bit where, she, I loved the bit where she goes to visit the girl. <laughs> Um, who tried to shoot herself um, who's so frightening (laughs) she's so scary it gets really funny towards the end because you know she's like she goes to see this terrifying girl and the mother is like what's wrong why do you look it's like your daughter's fucking freaky like she's you know really scary looking like surely all visitors respond in this way (laughs) what's what's the matter um, but oh my I, God. I do. I liked. I, I immediately sort of pricked up my ears when it said, you know, she was a really good actress. She was supposed to. She wanted to be an actress, and here yeah. she is in this production. Here she is in this production, and it really kind of spoke about the, you know, obviously like the aforementioned childhood fantasies of Chloe wanting to be an actor, yeah. but then also the f- the sort of fear of um, a relationship that gets in the way of your of your um like creative endeavors mm-hmm. um, which I thought was really good oh yeah I like that yeah so yeah now I think now I'm like perfectly content to watch that again and totally understand it as a, also it's a Joyce Carol Oates book isn't it it is it is yeah um, which I des- I'm desperate to read because I love Joyce Carol Oates and loads of my favorite films are based on books by her I know I know I want to I want to read it too now yeah that um, is definitely is it called the lies of twins the lives yeah. or the lies I can't remember the lives of the twins lives of the twins because wasn't that a film that we considered very briefly for fashion films because it's got oh, yeah. um Isabel Rosalini and Iman in that's right yeah Oh yeah, that is true. Also, apparently, the novel is also known as Kindred Passions. Oh, interesting. So an, the fact that it's got a the kind of double double title, title. yeah, kind of dual title. Um, you know what? You know, you just mentioned that girl, the, the sickly girl that she goes and visits. Don't you find that that whole structure of the scene, because she is so scary? Like, I agree. Don't I just reminded me so much of Pet Cemetery, you know, like the the like sickly sister up up the stairs, you know? I haven't seen Pet Cemetery. Oh my god, mm. Sarah highly recommend. I know, but, I know. But watch the eighties one, not the remake. The remake is horrible. Okay. Watch the Mary Lambert, directed by Mary Lambert. Okay. Amazing film. Highly recommend. Okay. Amazing. Um Final thoughts. I just want to say that the star signs of these directors. Oh, of course. <laughs> David Cronenberg is a Pisces. Oh, of course. Of course he is. He's of so course he random. is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And can I just share something hilarious? So my husband, Paul, he is a Pisces. <laughs> and when he takes showers, I hope he doesn't mind telling our listeners this, but sometimes he'll just like take extra long in the shower and just like, hold himself and just like rock himself gently under the stream oh that's so sweet it's so cute and I always tell him that he's doing like a womb dance in there like he's remembering what it was like being a baby in the in utero and like it's comforting being in the hot shower um he's gonna kill me for telling you this but I feel like that's a very Pisces thing and that's also very like dead ringers like people wanting to go back into the womb 
Actually, I know a guy who's a Pisces, and once he was talking to his mum, and he was like, wouldn't it be fun if I got in bed with you, or something like that? And she was like, ew, no. And he was like, what is the, what is wrong? Like, that's just like, it would be a fun, like, you know, n- nostalgic thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know if I'm remembering that story right, but I think that is the story he told me. And she was like, no, get away from me. Like, that's so sweet. But it's it's so sweet. It's probably not even some twisted Oedipal thing. It's probably just a Pisces it's thing. It's a Pisces <laughs> thing. It's not It's not gross at all. Like, no, it's not a taboo. <laughs> maybe okay. he didn't say, wouldn't it be fun? Maybe there was like a specific reason that he might have needed to sleep in her bed. And like, I can't remember what it was, but it was something. He was like, but he told me the story because he was like very shocked that there's like this very unmaternal reaction. It was like, she's supposed to love me. Why, why wouldn't she let me sleep in bed with her? He's just a misunderstood Pisces. Exactly. <laughs> oh, bless him. That's so cute. Okay, now Francois Ozan. Can you guess what he is? Um, Sagittarius. You know what? He's a Scorpio. Ah! <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Such a Scorpio. Amazing, of course. Oh my gosh, I've actually really had fun talking about these two films. Me too. You really, and thank you so much. You really saved uh, Le Mont Double for me. I wish I'd watched it earlier and then I could have like got used to it, but I definitely, I could not catch up with my thoughts fast enough. No, I love first reactions. I love first reactions. Um, So it's actually really valuable to have on the pod. Um, but thank you so much as well and I've really enjoyed this I'm so happy that we've kicked off our new series The Double and um, be sure to follow us on all social media because we will be announcing details of our new Patreon enjoy watching these weird movies about uh, doppelgangers (laughs) Um, so we'll be back in two weeks but if you want to you can donate Mm -hmm. to us Um, we have uh, I want to say the thank you again to Carl Murta or Murta, oh, yeah. but you've just, uh, you know, you the first person to have made like a regular donation to us and every month that it comes through, it's just really nice to know that you're like still listening. So yeah, we much. really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Like we really feel the love of that. Yeah, it's, we so, do. it's so sweet. Um, so awesome. Well, we'll catch you on the next one, guys. Bye. Bye.